Good to see you all here today. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and turn once again to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9, and today we'll begin reading at verse 30 through verse 41. Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 30. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What is it, what was it, that you disputed amongst, among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way they had disputed amongst themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down, and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child, and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me, for he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. May God add a special blessing reading of his word. And let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we're, we come humbly before you in your presence today, asking you to reveal even more of you to us. Thank you for the word. Thank you for allowing us to even have it, to study it, to meditate on it, as it makes and shapes our life. And Father, as literally you have used it through the power of the Holy Spirit, all those that have trusted Christ, to change us from the inside. These moments of private transfer of knowledge and the wisdom that Jesus was giving to these disciples now, may you use those moments that we're literally being able to just be inside listening from a distance from many years later, but just as much truth. Father, we will ask for you to reveal your truth to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We would pray exclusively. Thank you for those that have come out today, and we would ask that they, Father, would receive a blessing for choosing to want to worship you today. Thank you for what you'll accomplish. We look with anticipation now to the Word, asking you to teach us through the Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, we, uh, we took a, last week being Resurrection Sunday, uh, we took a little bit of a not really. It worked out really well, though. If you notice, it, I'll erase the board while I'm talking, but um, going back to review <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, there's something that trans uh, was, we moved into a different transition in, in the sense of Jesus now is not speaking to crowds as much as he is teaching the disciples. 
there, there's a real, there's this quite a crescendo as he's spending so much time around the Sea of Galilee in that Galilean region. Capernaum was probably home base. That was home to where this ministry was. And it was probably two years, maybe even two and a half years, that he was focused there. And because of literally, they didn't see him for what he wanted them to see him. They saw him only for something or someone to provide them with stuff. He was a stuff provider. They didn't believe in him. They only wanted what he could give. And so now he's actually turned the corner because they're on their way. Literally, remember the, remember the Mount of Transfiguration which we talked about a couple of weeks ago? Probably Mount Hermon, maybe. It would seem logical from where he was geographically. But from that point was literally the high point. Uh, God the Father said something was really, really interesting. And I don't know why I hadn't seen it before. But what Jesus had started to do with the disciples was to show them, to tell them, preparing their lives and their hearts, their minds, for what was to come, just probably not very many months ahead, that he would be killed. So far, they don't even hardly know anything about the cross. The cross would have been devastating for him to open that dialogue or that narrative saying, I'm going to die hanging on a cross. That, that would even be worse than what they could have even imagined. They couldn't even take in the fact that the Messiah would, who wants a dead Messiah? That doesn't fit. Where is that in the Old Testament? Where is that? And it just totally wiped them out. And he would always follow it by saying, he will be killed, and then he will raise three days later. Now, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it was just too much for them, and it would all just literally shut down. But that's where Jesus is right now. And then God the Father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And every time Jesus starts a session, guess what he says? Well, just like he did today. Let's look at verse 31. Uh, chapter uh, 9, let's, let's read it again. For he taught his disciples, and he said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he's killed, he shall rise the third day. That's the way to open it up, right? Let's, boy, that's gleeful. That's joy. That's fantastic. I mean, we've walked with you for two and a half years, and this is what's going to happen? What? I don't even think they heard the rise again thing. I really don't. Because who wants a dead Messiah? And by the way, could they not believe that someone could be raised from the dead? Well, of course, but that's Jesus that's doing that. Who's going to raise Jesus who raised the dead ones from the dead? Who's going to raise him? This, is, this just sounds outlandish, right? Well, that's what's taking place. We're literally engaged in teaching these disciples. Jesus is, what I meant to say. And this is a time, can you imagine? Let's just, just, just say they didn't have these months of preparation. Now, they didn't get it. You can, you can tell. Part of it was they didn't want to. They rejected the very aspect of the Messiah who they now knew who he was. Remember what Peter said? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he was commended for that. And then just a few moments later, literally, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Because he had the wrong plan. He had the right guy, the right person, but had the wrong plan. But to think of this, what if they had never had these moments with Jesus personally before Jesus went to the cross? <laughs> oh, my goodness. What if you didn't have the Bible? How would you get through it? And to think, now, all of these things that he's talking to them about, they didn't get it right now. But literally, after the cross, after he rose again, ah, that's what that meant. That's how that fits together. Peter could give this resounding uh, uh, message at, at Pentecost, the beginning of the church. Because he knew, he was understanding what Jesus had spent those few months preparing those men for. Now, I want to show you something. It was later in my lesson, but it seems right now it just keeps it's bouncing through my head. Um, sometimes God would conceal 
every, all of it because we're not ready to receive it. Let's take a look at the corollary passage uh, that we've read now in Mark. The other, we'll find one in Matthew chapter 8, but go to the one in Luke, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and we'll look at this, the same event from a different, uh, from Luke's perspective. Luke chapter 9, and let's turn to verse 44. 44. Uh, and I'll, just to bring you back into remember what we talked about last week, uh, this is the second lesson. This is the second set of seminars, if you will. Jesus Christ comes off the Mount of Transfiguration, and all of a sudden now we're going to be engaged. I think it's probably 10 specific lessons that Jesus is going to walk these disciples through. Last, well, last time we met in, the, in regards to this would have been two weeks ago. Jesus talked to the disciples about what? That's a long time ago, isn't it? That's okay. That's okay. But <laughs> so we've got all kinds of reasons not to remember. But let, let's just go back and say, come off the Mount of Transfiguration, and they're met by a deaf and mute man, okay? And the disciples were engaged in a fervor of argumentation with the religious leaders, which what was accomplished in the sense of God's work when we're arguing? Zero. Absolutely nothing. Nothing was being accomplished. And they've, just, they've run to Jesus and basically say, can you heal this one? They, they can't. The disciples can't do this. And remember what he said? Let, let, let's just step back for a moment. Um, I've got you where? In Luke chapter 9. That's going to mess us up. So just stay right there. Don't even move. Don't, don't move. Just stay right there. Um, there was something that Jesus said. He said, to you that believe, anything is possible. Anything is possible. So now, having said that, the first session, the first lesson that Jesus gives the disciples is about what? Faith. That was close because you have to pray. <laughs> I, like, I like answers coming. That's, that's good stuff. But it's about faith. Literally, you need to believe what I say. That's really the disciples. You, you need to just believe what I say. God the Father just said on the Mount of Transfiguration, he said, you know what? Listen to him. Listen to him. And now Jesus is saying, you know what? Literally, that person that has faith in me, that believes in me, literally, anything is possible. And it's sanctioned by what, what Jeff just said, prayer. Prayer and fasting was even said, okay? So you, that was the first session. Now, the one will jump way ahead. We're not going to go there, obviously, today. But at the very end, the last lesson there to learn, which you'll find over in chapter 10, maybe even further than that, I'm not even sure, is about what? Faith. You begin with faith, you end with faith. Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone. And that's literally, that's the gospel. That's something you can't, don't try to maneuver any way else through that. Anyone that comes without faith, which is not even, we talked about it last week, a lot. Faith is even a gift. Without faith that is a gift from God, we would have no chance. We would, there's no one could be saved. So now the one we're going to come to today, the second thing, which is super important once again, and it's amazing how it's just scattered through scripture from front to back, is humility. Now all of these, did you notice Maybe you didn't see it that way, but if you did, it would be logical. These, those are like little snippets that we read in those 11 or 12 verses, and they all seemed so detached. It was like this, and then it was this, and it was that. And then John said, well, how about that guy that's casting out demons in your name? It was like little detached little snippets, and yet they're all about the same thing. They're about humility. Now, I've got you in Luke chapter 9. Let's take a look um, as Jesus re rebuked this unclean spirit. Let's just start in verse 42 as this brings us together. And as he was yet a coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and delivered him again to his father. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered, everyone, at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples. 
Now watch, this is verse 44. Let these sayings sink down into your ears. In other words, just meditate on this. Get this. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying. Watch, the ver watch this now. And it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. Now that's crazy. Wait a minute. He told them to listen, to get it, and then it was like God didn't reveal it all. How would have you liked to have been a disciple to have caught every aspect of what that crucifixion would have been right there? It's like us. Uh, sometimes we say, well, I'd really like to know the future. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because all it would do is just cause fear and almost making the present anxious for something that may not even happen for 10 years. If you, if you knew all of the rest of your life, or even let's just say you're 10 years old and God reveals everything that's going to happen in your life, well, you would melt down to a little puddle, right? It would be horrible. This is almost the same thing that as Jesus reveals truth, only enough is revealed for them to believe what they need to believe to move to the next level. And again, in real life, it's just, I keep using this illustration, but Abram is a perfect example of that. If God would have come to him when Isaac was one year old and said, I want you to sacrifice that son to me, or any time previous to that encounter of when he came, you know what? He wouldn't have been ready for that. It would have blown his mind. In fact, for me, when I, I don't know when I first read that. I'm like, why would God do that? Why would he want him to slay his only son? It was a matter of faith. Who will you believe, yourself and what you think is right? Or literally, because I promised you, Abram, to build a nation, to build descendants as many as the stars of the sky. Do you believe me, or are you going to take things in your own hand? Isn't that absolutely true? That's what it's all about. So that was interesting to me is to find in that passage that literally they were only given as much as they could bear to believe, only enough for them to see. Well, back to Mark chapter 9. Back to chapter 9. Um, when, we talk, when we talk about humility, let's just uh, open a little bit. You tell me what you think about humility. What is humility? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Have you guys ever felt humble? It's the opposite of pride. Opposite of pride. That's good. I don't know if it's actually, I got to think about that one. But that's, okay. but that's okay, though. Obviously, pride is on one side of the ledger and humility would be on the other side. I'm okay with that. I think that's fine. Because everything that pride is, humility isn't. So I'm good with what you said. Yep, makes good sense. So what, what could we say? What else could we say? Is humility a feeling? I'm not even going to answer this. What do you think of that? Hmm. It's not self-centered. Self In fact, humility, it's been said, it's not thinking less of yourself. See, that's the other thing, is pride can be just as devastating. In fact, more sneaky. I remember serving on a church board. We had one member on that that was really arrogant. Just, I mean, pompous. It was, it was just, oh, no. Right? And then there was another one serving on the same, and these two would be at one another, but the other one was very sensitive, demeaning himself. It was like, it, but, but it was all about self. You understand what I'm saying? It's, that's pride just as probably more illustrious and more damaging than that person that is just outright arrogant for someone to take this, oh, I'm, I, well, I just don't, I don't know anything. Well, it's I. See, the, anytime we focus on I, pride is involved. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. That's really easy, isn't it? And it's not, because it's not in our DNA. In our fallen DNA, when Adam and Eve sinned, 
It's not in our DNA. Humility is not in that. It has to be introduced. It has to be learned. It has to be taught. It has to be literally be modeled. And that's a couple of ways that literally we'll find even today. From principle, Jesus is going to be using uh, a principle to teach humility, but there's no greater example or model of humility than Jesus himself, particularly the cross. That is the, that is the maximum sense of humility or humiliation for Jesus Christ, God, God himself, God the Son, to literally submit himself willingly to the cross of mankind. I mean, what? There is, there is no greater level than that. But he wants to talk about humility because humility, you can't come to the Father. You can't come to Jesus without being humble. Can't happen. Can't happen. Humility. We'll, we'll hopefully learn, add things to this as well. Now, ask a question nobody answered, which means, well, you didn't answer it either. That's right. But is, is humility something you think about or something you feel? And just play with that in your minds. Well, let's, you're at, back at Mark, and uh, let's go once more back to verse 30. It's like they've, they're, they're leaving, they're going through Galilee, and it says he would not that any man should know it. He didn't want anybody to know about this. Again, moving from crowds to private instruction. The crowds had made up their minds. Now it's Jesus, and it's all about the disciples. And they're headed to Capernaum. We'll find that in a few verses. And he... And he's, as they're walking, he's teaching, once again, the Son of Man is delivered. I want to stop there at that word delivered. Delivered into the hands of men. And they shall kill him, and after that he is killed, he shall rise a third day. Very, it's a very short course. There's not too hard to figure out. But that word delivered, what do you mean delivered? And that word actually would be a legal term. It would be like delivering like a criminal into its final thing of uh, the sense of punishment. That's, that's what's behind the word. It's bigger than that, but that's kind of what's behind it. In other words, uh, say this, that the policeman would have delivered the prisoner into the hands of the executioner. Okay? It's much the same way. So who delivered Jesus? Wow. You said, that's the last one I would have thought would have come, but that's really true. We'll look at that one in a moment. And you said, himself. himself. He did. He He took it upon himself to do what God the Father had designed before the foundation of the world. So really, you both are really saying God, right? Okay, who else? You say, well, isn't there just one answer to this question? No, that's what's really interesting. There's a number of those that were involved in the deliverance of Jesus to his execution. Well, let's go back to, um, I think we'll find it back in chapter 8. This is interesting. We read chapter 9, verse 31, what he said. Look at verse, chapter 8, verse 31. It's the same message. And it'll tell us one of those groups that actually will deliver him. This is in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. So what's another group that would have literally delivered him? The religious leaders. Now, how would you grab that if you were a disciple? At this point, who would have been mentors? Who, spiritually, who would have been looked up to in the land of Israel? There, there are no alternatives. I mean, it's not like there's 52 churches within the, church, within the town of Jerusalem. No, no, no. No, it's, it's one. You're either a, uh, uh, an Israelite in, in Judaism, or there isn't anything else. This is the deal. So who are the leaders? The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. What do we know about those guys? Now, again, what are we talking about? We're talking about pride and humility. What would have they learned from the religious people? This is why Jesus was so amazingly vocal 
in his narrative and speaking to these religious leaders because they were on the wrong side of the issue of profit. I mean, I don't know if you knew this or not, but let's say, let's say they were going to, that a Pharisee was going to, and I shouldn't just say that, but a religious leader, but a Pharisee was very, it would have been very key to that. And, and so they're going to make an offering. Do you know they actually hired or paid somebody to blow a trumpet to announce the fact that they're putting something, so it was like, I'm on display? Are you kidding me? Wow. But it was like that. It, you know, if they, were, if they were praying outside, they would make it very public. They would have those phylacteries, which would be on their wrist. And the bigger they were, the more stuff they were uh, obeying or taking care of, the better they looked. They, even on the robes, the ones that had the biggest tassels were the most spiritual. Oh, my goodness, right? But that's amazing even today. You think about it. All of the religious garb, all of the external stuff that literally is made to look grandiose, which actually ex exceeds and expels everything that is, it's, it's not about us. It's about God. That's why religion is reaching up to God, which is woefully short. And God in Christianity is reaching down to man through the grace of Jesus Christ. I mean, huge difference. But think of, I want to come back to this. I, I don't want to miss this point. The apostles would have learned what they knew about religion, what they knew about God, what they knew about everything about the Messiah coming through the lens of those religious leaders that are so pompous, so prideful, so arrogant, so amazingly over the top. Do you see how this was hard? This would have been very hard. You don't, you don't see humility in any place, shape, or form. By the way, how much do you see around it today? How on stage is humility today? At any arena, any place. It's not out there because it's not in our DNA. In fact, the world's solution to all of our ills in most cases, number one, it's not your fault. Number two, you need to get more self-esteem. That is a bogus lie. No one needs more self-esteem. We have too much self now. That's the problem. Correct? And behind pride is self, 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 self. Satan bought that self-ticket himself. Bought the, the greatest lie the universe has ever did, and he thought he could be God. Be like God, excuse me. He knew he couldn't be God, but he'd like God. What is that? That's pride. On display, on exhibition. And he's been selling that stuff it almost tires you out, doesn't it? Pride is such a bill of goods. Horrible stuff. Well, let's go back. Delivered. Well, that was, so you guys have got one. Where did I do that? Where did I write these? Because I'm forgetting the other ones momentarily. Oh, yeah. Let's go to, uh, in fact, uh, Acts. Let's go to, to the book of Acts for a moment. Chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse 13. Acts 3.13. I think I'll get there eventually. Acts 3, verse 13. <clears throat> Peter and John had been up there, they're up at the temple. And uh, verse 11 opens this episode up for us. As the lame man, which was healed, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them into the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we have made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up. Do you see it? Same word. You, 
the religious leaders delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. So the religious leaders were those that delivered him. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Let's find another one that delivered Jesus. Turned him over, if you will. Then we'll, then we'll make order of all of this. Matthew chapter 26, verse 24. Matthew 26, verse 24. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed, or we could use the word delivered. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. So who's another one that delivered Judas Iscariot. That's exactly right. Now, you're already in Matthew chapter 26. Just turn over to chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And let's, oh, by the way, just look at verse 2. Here's another one that we see the chief priest. Let's start in verse 1, Matthew chapter 27, verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Speaking of whom, <laughs> Matthew chapter 27, verse 26. Matthew 27, 26. Then released he, are you there? Matthew 27, 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, let's go back to Acts for just a moment, and then we'll put this all together. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Acts 2, verse 23. We'll start back just a couple of verses. Well, let's just start in verse 14. This is the preaching that Peter gave at Pentecost. Verse 14, Acts chapter 2. But Peter, standing up with eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judah, and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be it this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord shall come. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him, watch, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken him by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Who literally, as Alice said, God delivered Jesus to the cross. So let's put this in perspective. So we have Judas who delivered Jesus to the elders and chief priests. The chief priests and elders, which you just read, they delivered him to Pilate and Pilate delivered him to the cross. But over all of that, the predeterminate counsel is God said, this is the way it has to be. I've erased it now on the board. But the fact for me to be able to have righteousness, holiness, what was the other one that was on the left? Righteousness, holiness, and justice, okay? For that be able to meet my love, mercy, and grace, the only way that I can make those meet 
It's through the cross, and God himself would have to die for your sins. Wow. Wow. That is heavy. So who started the ball rolling? Excuse me? Who started that ball rolling with sin? We certainly did. We made that. That's actually, that's right. We did too. We as a whole, if every single one of us delivered him to the cross. Otherwise, we couldn't be here today to say that we're saved. There's, there's, a, there's actually, how do, I, how do I go here? This is really important. And it's Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We looked at it last week. Just jot that down in your notes, though. Because it talks about where sin comes from and where death comes from. It came from that sin. Now, there are those that believe that a child is born innocent. In other words, their DNA is pure and clean of sin. Okay? That's erroneous. That is wrong. Because if that was right, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. If there was any possibility that someone would actually be innocent of sin, then there's a chance that they could make it without Jesus. Do you see how dangerous that theology is? Oh, no. No, death came through sin, and sin upon all when Adam sinned. That's why Jesus had to come, because we, as Ernie just said, we st they started that ball rolling, and there's not one person since Adam and Eve sinned that has ever been anything other than guilty before God. If you make it any other way, then Jesus literally doesn't have to die. But he did. And I'm here to say, I'm really thankful he did. <laughs> wow. Okay, so the delivery part of that, we've got that all down. So let's go back to our text. And um, just moving through my notes here in a minute. Oh, there's something. Uh, just to check something out. Just uh, relax for just a second. Oh, yeah. Let, this is how the disciples are seeing this. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. We'll start in verse 22, though. Um, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and we could tie this into a lot more, but we're just going to, I just want you to see how big a deal the disciples would have had with this whole thing of a dead Messiah. Verse 22 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Isn't that exactly true? I mean, the, the Jews all the time, they, they want another sign. I mean, after, after, he's, after somebody's risen from the dead, and you know what they wanted to do with Lazarus? They wanted to kill him. Because if he wasn't alive, that would mean Jesus couldn't have actually shown that he could raise someone from the dead. So that's a pretty big sign, by the way, I would think. And the Greeks, they're just after wisdom. Correct? Okay, let's keep going. Uh, verse 23, watch. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. Isn't that exactly right? The world, we could just throw in the world where Greeks are. The cross to someone that is unsaved, just of the world system, that is just total nonsense. That is total nonsense. And to the Jews, Jesus Christ being crucified, that is a stumbling block. That's literally, I'm, I'm using this verse because that's where the disciples would have been. And Jesus hasn't even used the word crucified yet. He hasn't used the word cross. He just said he's going to be delivered over to be killed. And three days, right. That, that's exactly right. That's exactly. That the majority of the Jews literally are still looking for the Messiah. Because the one that came was not the one that they should have seen. It was something that they presupposed would look like something very different than what he was. They want him to come for what the second coming was from the first one, that if you don't get it right on the inside, you can't get the rest of it right. Again, miss the plan? 
looking for the person that could provide their plan. Isn't that how a lot of religion is? You work it backwards. I could name cult. I, we could go on down through the cult list. Most of those that started a new cult, they had a plan. They had a dream. And so you just work it back far enough, and you just kind of tie it into God at some point. There was an angel of light. Oh, well, that's mysterious. If you go on the Corinthians, it says that Satan can appear as an angel of light. That wouldn't be any proof. And it goes on and on. There's predetermined senses of where one would want to go. Okay, so not wanting a dead Messiah, and then rising again? <laughs> Who could raise Jesus? He's the one that raised those that were dead. Hmm. Well, let's look at our lessons on humility. Um, these, little, these little lessons, shall we say, uh, are very, very true. They're going to hopefully see, allow us to see humility in a brighter way. So let's go to verse 33 now. Uh, back in Mark chapter 9, I don't know where I left, oh, I had you in 1 Corinthians. Let's go back to Mark chapter 9, and we'll now begin, we'll actually look at verse 32 first. He said very simply in verse 31, the Son of Man will be delivered in the hands of men, they shall kill him, and after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. Okay, so that went well, right? You ever been in a seminar like that where the teacher says something, and I don't have a clue what he said, but I don't want to ask. <laughs> kind of went through school. I'd rather, I'd rather spend time studying. I don't want to ask something that would, could be very obvious, right? Everybody else in the, in the place knows it but me. I don't want to expose that. I'll just be quiet. This is kind of what the disciples are saying. I, I don't have a, you know what he's talking about? I don't know. I'm not going to ask anything, right? <laughs> so in the meantime, what do they do? They just go on lesson two, not a clue, right? Huh. Well, I don't know. Let's move on. <laughs> so here we go, verse 33. And he came to Capernaum. Now, again, this would have been a very public place in time past, but look at this. And being in the house, very private, he asked them, oh, oh, this is, a, this is a teacher at work, what was it that you disputed amongst yourselves, by the way? In other words, they're walking, which probably could have been 20, 30 miles, actually. It could have been an extended uh, journey, if you will, um, coming from, uh, you know, going down through Galilee. And again, unannounced. He didn't want anybody to know he's, he's, he's literally traveling through here incognito. He's in a house in Capernaum. He says, by the way, guys... Oh, what were you guys fighting about on the way? I could hear you guys kind of arguing. What was that about? <laughs> they didn't say nothing. <laughs> because they knew what they had talked about. In fact, look at the verse it describes for us. Verse 34, but they held their peace. For, where's Peter when you need him, right? <laughs> uh, for by the way, they had disputed amongst themselves who should be the greatest. Oh, this looks like a great opportunity. In fact, did you see the next? I, I've got this underlined because it's small things that might stick out to me. Verse 35. And he sat down. Excuse me? Oh, boy. Yeah. This, in fact, Jesus, this is a time for teaching. We need to take this opportunity right now because now do you think he didn't know what they were talking about? Yeah, he really did. In fact, we could go to the other gospels and we could find it. He knew what they were talking about. He knew what they were saying. But what it's, did, did you see that in verse 35? It said, and he sat down. That's the rabbinical uh, position of teaching. He's, this is going to be a teaching moment. It would almost like the, the 12, he gathered the 12 around him, and they're, he, okay, we're going to talk about something. You guys have in your mind, and what a great place to start. What's on your mind? That's one of the teachers that really, if you just start in somewhere, visit and see what they're really thinking about, especially with, with young people. I want, I want to know, what are you guys thinking about? What's, what's exciting to you? And once you're there inside there, then that, that is a great place to start. And so, oh, so you guys really want to be great. 
You want a lot of rewards. You want a lot of stuff. Well, good deal. Let's talk about that. So what does he say? Verse 35, And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and servant of all. Now just stop for a second. He had asked what they were fighting about. They didn't say anything. Could you think of anything else to destroy whatever it was they were up on their high horse about than that? Whoever wants to be first, what do you think that was about? Well, I'm first. I'm smarter than you. I've been. I've been. I should. I could. I will. I, right? And he says, whoever wants to be first will be last. And he that the servant of all shall be first. Did you hear that? <laughs> and you thought it was silent before? But then he uses something else. He uses an example. He uses an illustration. Let's talk about something first before we go there. The first thing we see about pride, let's, we'll write these down and see if this isn't true. Right now, pride is in the camp. We've got 12 disciples, and they're fighting about what? Who Jesus is? No, I don't think that's a discussion. I think, I think it's pretty well de determined that this is, as, Jesus, as Peter said, this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you think they're fighting about who Jesus is? I don't think so. I think that's clear. I, they don't get the plan. That's clear, too. It flew right over their head. So what are they fighting about? Who's first? Which one of the 12? I mean, who's... And, you know, later on, we could go to, an, to, the, to the, the Gospels and... I mean, this is really something. So James and John, right, they bring their mother. <laughs> mother will talk to Jesus. I know mom. She's something else. She'll talk Jesus into letting me sit on one hand. On... I wonder how they were going to work that out. Who gets to sit on the... Who's... Is it James or is it John? Can you imagine that family discussion? Well, first of all, let's just get on the right and left hand. We'll worry about that later. Just think of that. That is truly, as you said, Alice, that is the opposite of humility, working it the other way. Oh, right? Mom, mom, you got to come. I mean, I, you can talk to Jesus. <laughs> you ever have a mom like that? <laughs> wow, what a moment, huh? Right? This is the most important thing in their lives. And you know what they really wanted Jesus to do? Well, let's see. Okay, John, you're number one. Uh, Peter, you're number two. Uh, Thomas, uh, you're barely a three. And then, and then there's two of you tied for fourth. <laughs> That's what they wanted, right? And then you know what they'd have done with that? The very thing that pride does all along, and that is pride destroys unity. We're going to write that on the board. Pride destroys unity. Think of a, a church or a, or a spiritual venture. I better write. I can't talk and write. Isn't that absolutely true? You want, to see, you want to see Christ's mission or his all of the things that Christ wants to happen? You know what? When pride's in the middle of a very, I'll just say a church. It's not about who Jesus is. That's usually not the fight's about. It's, it's this infighting stuff about pride and, and the positioning and all of that. You know what happens? Unity is destroyed. Let's see what the Bible says about that. Let's go to, um, let's go to, dun, 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 dun. where is that at? Oh, yeah. Let's go to Philippians. Philippians, Philippians, Philippians. Chapter 1, again, written by Paul as he's serving in prison. And he's teaching about joy. <laughs> How would you like to have that assignment? Uh, Paul, listen, listen very carefully. 
I know your condition's a little bit tough. You've been in prison for quite a while. But here's what I, here's your, here's your, here's your, I want you to write a letter, okay? I want you to write a letter to the church at Philippi. And this is what I want you to, I want, I want you to convince them of, of being joyful in the Lord. <laughs> and you know what? He knocked it out of the park. Because it didn't matter about circumstances. It was beyond that. God was in his life, and he had faith in what God had said, and that was all he needed to go, to go forward. That's it. It was it. Done. That's what joy truly is. Okay, but here we're in chapter 1. Let's turn to verse 27. 27. Whoops. Uh, yeah, oh, this is good. This is good. Verse 27, Philippians chapter 1. Again, only let your conversation be as it is becoming, becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, doesn't matter if I'm there or not, that I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know what that requires? Unity. Unity. Pride destroys unity. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, if you were going to take the book of Ephesians and you were going to tear it into two pieces, or split it, that sounded terrible, uh, divide it, there we go, into, into two. The, the first three chapters are all about positioning. It's all about the right thinking. It's about the right doctrine. It's the right theology. And then chapter 4, boom, it's like, now let's live out what we learned. Let's take doctrine and put feet to it. Let's get the rubber to meet the road. This is chapter 4 of Ephesians. This is the beginning. Let's start now in verse 1. Verse 1, I therefore, the reason he says therefore, I've taught you now for three chapters what's the right thinking. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness. Does someone have humility in, in one of the versions you read? Okay. Re read that in verse 2 then, please. With all... Oh, my. Humility and gentleness. That'll change the world, won't it? That will change the world. But now, did you see? Walk worthy, and with this in your focus, with this in your mind, humility or lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, add another one, forbearing one another. Now, how, how are you guys doing on verse 2? Isn't that fantastic? There's four things stated there that will change the world. You know what? There's not one of those that's easy to do. But you put them together, and guess what happens? This is, this is really cool. Watch verse 3. Endeavoring, because of that, with meekness, lowliness, with humility, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You know what holds that? Literally, humility is the key component to having unity, to striking out onward Christian soldiers. Guess what? What if we had a thousand soldiers and everybody beating their own drum? How effective is that? No, it's when we're focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, becomes Christian soldiers doing his work on a very, on a front that is unimaginable if we're in unity. You know what, take, you know what, you know what Satan wants in every single church, every single Bible study, every single anything of which God's word is being promoted? He wants pride there because if he's got pride, he's got it all in disarray and unity is out the window. And you know what gets accomplished for God? Nothing. That was way too loud, but I can't help it. Pride destroys unity. You see it in families. You see it in a husband and wife. There's this dueling thing. Well, I, you know, in fact, it even talks about in Genesis chapter 3. Pride destroys relationships. Pride destroys anything that God has really literally put together. It's true, isn't it? It's terrible. 
Pride is a horrible thing. It destroys unity. Um, I would like to, well, we kind of talked about it. I got it in my notes. Let's go back to Mark chapter 10 for a moment. And uh, we, we talked about it. We'll just, some of you like to see in your scriptures. Um, let's start in, in Mark chapter 10. And uh, this is verse 32. Again, sessions are going on. They're on their way now in Jerusalem. Verse 32, Mark chapter 10. They were, on, they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. This, this, this trip where they're in Capernaum is continuing. Jesus went before them. They were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took, and he took again the twelve. Notice, just the twelve. And began to tell them what things should happen unto him. It's like, I'm going to try this. Okay, what part can't you get on this? Okay, here we go. Saying, verse 33, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered, same word, unto the chief priests, unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. They shall mock him, they shall scourge him, they shall spit upon him, shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Okay, did you notice it wasn't there yet? The cross. But you know what? When you get scourging and mockings, that sounds pretty close to a crucifixion. And James and John, okay, how'd you do it? Now, this is about the 15th time that you've gotten this message. What would be on your mind next? Don't read, did you guys read that next verse? Please don't. If, if you did, you can't. Oh, yeah, that's okay. Guess, guess what James and John are talking about right now? Their master, the Messiah, the one that's going to be, that they've declared to be the right person, wrong plan. They're not even engaged. Watch this, verse 35. This is crazy. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we should desire. <laughs> well, what is Jesus thinking right now? Did you guys, are, where were you at? I just told you I'm going to be killed. <laughs> Big time, right? On steroids, right? I mean, this is like, not even engaged. I mean, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm just like Jesus. Oh, right. And he said unto them, what, what would you that I should do for you? I think it was kind of like that. They said unto him, grant unto us that we may sit, one on the right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. Are you kidding me? Oh, goodness sakes, right? Let's go back to Mark. Mark chapter 9. So pride destroys unity. Well, it also does something else. Verse 35 of Mark chapter 9. If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And servant of all. Now think of that for a moment. The very thing that they want, the very thing that they're pushing after is honor. They're looking for the sense of being exalted. They're looking for glory. They're looking for all the things that literally pride will take away. In fact, pride will displace honor. There is no honor in pride. The more that you try to be elevated to a position, stepping on other people, that's what pride does, right? You just keep moving up by stepping on other people. You keep saying you're the greatest. And the less honor you will receive. That is absolutely true. And Jesus just dispels that in a really big way. In a really big way. It forfeits honor. Let's write that down. Pride forfeits honor. Pride forfeits honor. 
The more you try to be honored, the more you want to be exalted, the more you want in the sense of supremacy, the opposite will happen. The very opposite of what they want will be happening. It sounds really great. Pride's going, it's a good thing to tie on to, isn't it? And you know what? It's one of the things that inadvertently more people seek after than anything else because it's in our DNA. Self-promotion, self-exaltation. And literally the things that you really want, don't you want a unified family? Don't we want a unified church? Don't we want a unified uh, society? Don't we want a unified world? Don't we want things to be, yeah. And you know what? Pride destroys every single thing, every single aspect that God put together. The church, even schools. We could, now what a mess, right? I mean, you don't have to listen to too much news. This is a mess. Our churches are a mess. Our families are a mess. You know what's behind it? We could say sin, obviously, but you know what's behind sin? It's pride. Why do you think Jesus was having a session with the disciples right now? Because all of the training, all of the teaching, everything that they had learned from the time they were knee-high to a grasshopper to where they are right now, after walking with two years of behind the Savior, society and all of the religious leaders, all of those people had taught them exactly the opposite of what it took to have all of the things they desired. That is our world today. That is our world today. Let's go to verse 36, 37, chapter 9, Mark. He took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said, let's stop there for a moment. So this is a rather small child. I mean, uh, infant. He's able to stand, but he also picks him up and puts him in his lap or on it in his arms. Okay, so this is a small child. So let's talk about that for a moment. Let's get this in the right context. What do we know about this small child? Well, obviously, we don't know his name. I'm not talking about that, but talk to me about a small child. What, what, what would, how is Jesus going to use this example? What's a small child? Vulnerable, correct? Um, doesn't come with a resume unless you're two. If you're two, you've got stuff on there, right? <laughs> we got a couple two-year-olds running around here. Some days are, what the world? <laughs> One of my daughters, I'll leave unnamed, said, does anybody want a two-year-old? <laughs> There's a phase, in the, and that's way off topic, but you know what? You take a little child, though, they're innocent. There's a lot of naivety. They are who they are. They're vulnerable, and they just, they're just there, right? They're just there. Lots of, lots of energy, too. That's true. So now Jesus takes this, this little one. He's, and I can just see these 12 dis, that are surrounded, you know, 12 disciples around Jesus. And he says, I'm going to see if I can get, let you get hold of this. Here's this little child. He's in the midst, and then he puts him on his lap. And he says this. Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. In other words, not only just me, Jesus, as being with you, but literally my, your Father in heaven. Now, let's get, a, let's get a bigger picture of this. Let's go to Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, and it's, it's a little bit more fleshed out. In fact, it really fits exactly what's taking place. Matthew chapter 18, and let's take a look at verse 1. We'll, we'll open this up. It's, it's even more uh, fl flavored, shall we say, than what we've seen in Mark. In chapter 18 of Matthew, verse 1. At the same time, this is, again, if you went back to verses 22, 23, he, he says the fact that, there, that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be killed, and the third day he will be raised again. Now, I do want to point something out. This is, it, 
this, verse 23, let's go back there for a moment. Matthew 17, verse 23. Okay? They shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. Watch this. And they were exceeding sorry. They're grieved. They're torn up. Okay? Now, down to verse 18, chapter 18. And let's start in verse 1. At the same time, it was during the same concourse, came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Again, that's, that's number one on the agenda. Let's get that right out right now. Jesus, you tell us who's going to be number one in heaven. Oh, my goodness, right? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily, truly I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children. What would we say about a child? There's no pretense, is there? There really isn't. I mean, there's a selfish, don't, don't get, I mean, I'm not trying to make these little buggers, right? I mean, they come with an attitude, right? There's stuff that comes through this DNA, which is called because of sin nature. But they are who they are, right? And there's, it's just, that's it. That's just it. Like, I'm just thinking a little Laredo. He does not care about anyone else thinking whatever they think of him. He is just Laredo. It does not matter. It doesn't matter. There's no concern whatsoever. And you know what? There's not really, at a young child like that, we're talking about probably a two-year-old, a three-year-old, someone that can is able to stand, but still, Jesus put it in his lap. There really isn't this sense of arrogance, is there? There really isn't. We are who we are. There's a sense. That's exactly what we're going to find here in just a moment. That's exactly. And you know how that is? Humility, isn't it? Humility. Now, you don't have to add too many more years. And that pride starts to grow, doesn't it? You know why? Because the environment in which they find themselves, the families they're raised in, the society, the places they go, they frequent, there's something about becoming greater and being little more arrogant, a little more prideful, a little bit more disturbingly, I'm number one, right? But, also, but when they're young, it's not like that. That's what Jesus is really trying to get at, is the fact, number one, as already pointed out, you have to come to the Father as a little child. In fact, let's keep reading. We'll come back. Uh, chapter, chapter 3, we'll read again. Verily I say unto you, except you be converted. So we're talking about literally being converted and becoming as little children. You shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. First of all, you need to come just as that little child. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now you remember, that's what they asked, wasn't it? What, Jesus? You mean this little kid? This little two-year-old? Yes. The very attitude that makes that child who he is is exactly the attitude it will take for you to come to me and be converted. That's what it's going to take. And if you don't do that, you won't make it into the kingdom of heaven. That's why I say there's no one that can ever find Jesus that literally does not humble themselves. It can't happen. Now, that may come through various situations. That's why when, remember the, when Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Because when everything's going your way, whatever that means, what, now think of that for a moment. 70, 80 years, 90 years on this earth, and if everything just went perfectly from our perspective, it would be the biggest disappointment ever in eternity. Because we'd leave everything out that's necessary to go to heaven. You must come as a child. You must come with humility. So let's keep going, though. 
And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Now think of that for a moment. So he's just told us that, listen, disciples, listen. You or anyone else that is going to come to me, that's going to come to the Father, must humble themselves just as this little child to literally become a believer. Now think of this. When that little one, that, that, that humbleness comes to you and you reject that person. Now we're talking about a believer now, a spiritual child. And what are we known as? Children of God, right? A child of the king. You, 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 a lot of those things are said. We are seen as a child from God's eyes because of this very thing. We must come as a child, as already just pointed out, before we literally can come to him. If you come on your terms and you're going to impress them with a resume, I've done all of this. I, I, you know, I served on the church board for this period of time, and I gave a lot to these missionaries, and I actually served as a missionary over there for a while, and I just did a lot of really cool things. And what does God say? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's not about you. It's not about the things you've done. You're woefully short. You have to come, what? Just as this little child. Now, think of this for a moment. So here you have a new Christian, a baby Christian. Who lives within that baby Christian? The Holy Spirit. You know what he just said? When you don't receive that young one, that child in the faith, you literally have rejected me. God visits us even through other Christians. We've seen that it destroys unity. It forfeits honor. It actually takes away from who God really is. Because when we reject a child, for that matter, or physical or whatever, but a spiritual child particularly, someone that's new, or any believer, there's nothing to miss here. You can only be saved coming through a situation or a particular attitude just as a young child. And when we don't hold out our arms to fellow Christians... What are we doing? We're denying God himself. And Jesus is using this little child right here sitting in front of these disciples to prove his point. This is really, really a big deal. Because while you guys are wanting to be the greatest in the kingdom, we're missing what everything is about. The fact that this little child is how you must come to be saved. And when you reject any one of those, you are rejecting me. Now, that would have made them sit up. How can you love God if you don't love your brother? Exactly. First John's a lot about that, isn't it? It's a lot about that. In fact, how did, what did Jesus really want to get across to them? Let's go back to the, to the Last Supper. How did he prove? Now, again, he's modeling. He's an example. What did he do? He washed their feet. He said, now go and do likewise. He said, you will know, people will know that you are my disciples by how much you love one another. Correct. That's probably the greatest shame to the church today is the infighting that's taking place in supposedly the church of God. It is true, isn't it? I mean, why would you want to be there? And what did we find out? Pride destroys unity. That's not a surprise. And all of the things that pride chases after is forfeited. It's forfeited. Whew, I bet it was getting quiet in that room, wasn't it? There's another thing that I want you to know. I just, I had jotted, I found this out just, just an hour ago. I, I don't know the word, but as Jesus, and they would have spoken Aramaic, 
That would have been the language in which they would have spoken. Okay? I didn't know this, but literally the word child and servant are the same word. Ah, it starts to make great sense now, doesn't it? Because literally it's a childlike attitude. Now again, I'm saying that there's that, little, there's that selfishness kind of a thing, but you know what? It's amazing how a childlike faith is all about a servant. And that's how we're asked to serve those that we're coming into communication with. But that is, I found that really interesting. A child and servant are the same word in Aramaic. Did you think Jesus was trying to say something? I think so. Because he was trying to say, you need to be of a servant mindset. When you're serving, then humility is part of you. Now, I'm going to ask you a question earlier. Is humility a feeling? You don't know how to answer that, do you? Isn't it a characteristic? Yeah, yeah. It's Let me, let me ask you, by the way, all of, all of what you're saying is, is, is good stuff, okay? So let, let, <laughs> let's see if I can do this. Wake up in the morning. Honey, I feel humble today. <laughs> right? You guys are laughing because you don't have it anymore, right? You just lost it. Okay. That's it. That's the deal right there. Humility is not a feeling. It's not a thinking. It's a getting it done. That's what Jesus is saying. You need to approach life by serving others. That's humility. If you think you're humble, or if you feel humble, you missed it. And you all know that, right? But you see how, did you see how sneaky that was? See, hum, hum, humility is not just thinking about it. Because if you're not doing it, it's not humility. Correct? That's true, but who are we thinking about? Okay. Exactly. Okay. So, that, that, and act, actually, uh, Leslie points out something very, very important. And this is what the Pharisees were all about. Um, they would do things to make themselves look better. There's a whole lot of philanthropists today that are very bold and boisterous about, I gave this to this organization, and I have this foundation set up. I could name names, actually. It's sickening, quite honestly. Billions and billions of dollars that are supposedly, but it's all about them. It's not about what's, where it's going. That is not Jesus' agenda. Why are you doing what you're doing? And what do we say, humility? It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. When we're serving without thinking about ourselves, that's action without thinking or without feeling. That's what humility truly is. If we have to think about why we're doing it, we've missed it. That's almost like saying, boy, I feel humble. <laughs> right? It's the same deal. It's, it's funny when we say it that way, but that's truly it, isn't it? If we're serving just to get notoriety, we've missed it. That's not what Jesus is talking about. That little child, when they act out of, you know, I would say when they reach out to someone, they're not, there's no agenda. That's what I like about a little child. They, they are who they are. We've said that several times. There's no agenda. Boy, if I do this, mommy will like me more. No, it doesn't matter about that stuff. They just go for it. <laughs> right? What was that, Ernie? Sometimes. 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 Exactly. And, and there's something, I, 
I just, this just rang through my head as you're saying that. Um, and there's nothing, I think there's a joy in this, but have you, have you heard this? You know, some person did something for someone. I feel so good about that. Okay, now I want to go further than that. Why do you feel good about that? Was it so that you look good? I think that's a lot of it behind that. Or do you feel good because you actually, someone was helped. Someone literally prospered. We reached out and that person was better for it. Is that what we're... Absolutely. It's like me getting up there to sing today. I have to really pray, Lord, do I get up there because of me? Because I love to sing, but do I get up there? And so you have to really prepare. Absolutely. Yourself. Preparation. Really a big deal. Really, really a big deal. We grow up as kids all through life. If you're in the Boy Scouts, every time you do something, you get a badge. Get a badge. You get a badge. You get rewarded. <laughs> so you're doing things for other people just to get a, a, a reward. That's right. And that's why, back to Leslie's point, is the fact that's why religion is so popular. You know, we, we get a ten, we, we get a pin for Sunday school attendance. <laughs> but you're not bragging about it. <laughs> but did you see, see, see what I'm saying? It's, it's just built on the inside, right? I mean, we laugh at the disciples, and it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. I pointed out several examples. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, this is, this, is, this is straight. I want you to understand this is really serious stuff. I'm going to be turned over to the chief priests, and they're going to turn me over, and I'm going to be... He hasn't said the crucifixion word, but I'm going to be killed. Uh, could you tell us who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? <laughs> we're just like that, though, aren't we? Now, uh, granted, we're, we're adults. We don't, we don't get in a, in, a, in a dispute or a discussion about, I'm better than you are. No, you're not. I'm better. Now, you may think it in your mind, but you don't have discussions like that. That's an 8- or a 10-year-old thing, right? That's an immature kind of thing. But just think of that, how much that pervades in our whole society, though. It, it just goes through us, doesn't it? That is totally contrary to humility. It's totally contrary to what God wants us to do. But we've really hit on some really key things here that are really inside of us. Why do we do what we do? That is a really important question. Even when you do something of value, or your, your heart is touched, okay, and that's how God works. He, he'll tug. He'll tug right there at your mind and your heart. You know what? You need to help that person. You need to call that person. You need to step out. You need to find, right? That's how he works. And I'm getting better. I'm not there, but I'm getting better about when that happens. I just stop and do that. I've missed that a lot. I don't know how many I've missed early in my life. But now when I feel, I do it. Because there's something that God is going to use to make that person, or give that person what they need. It's, that's how he works with us. And again, it's, and you can come up with a hundred reasons not to do that. I'm really busy. I haven't fed the cows. Uh, the horse is out. Uh, you, you could go on and on, right? God knows that. But right there at that moment, that person that he's put on your mind, that's a priority. That's humility. That's servitude. And when we do something, the Bible talks about the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. That's right. That's right. Yeah, there's no announcements necessary. No. Because then, as Jesus would say, if you're looking for accolades of men, you've got it. There is no other reward for that. There's nothing else there. And if that's why you do it, then again, that's not humility. Do you see? Self is in the middle of that. Who is getting the credit? Who do you want? Who do you pat on the back? That's truly who's being served. This is heavy stuff, isn't it? And these poor disciples, they're so over their head right now. They, they are so not getting it. But fortunately, this is just lesson two. 
we've got a cut. We've got a, like eight or ten left. They're going to really get it. No, they're not. Actually, we go through all of them, but it was afterwards. This is how I think our life lessons go as well. There are things now that I remember 25, 30, 40 years ago. Ah, that makes much more sense now. That gives me the strength to go on for this one. I've, I've shared some of those over the last number of months. In my, and going through them, they were tough stuff. But you know what they were doing? They were building my faith. And that's ultimately where you have to get to, is when you believe God, and I'm talking not just believing to say I believe, but literally your life is exemplary of that. You, you trust in God with what he said. You know what? That's when humility is right there. And those times of suffering, of pain, and those really difficult times, you know what that does? That instills humility. Because it pushes you right close to Jesus. You're on your knees. Because there's that, remember, you doubt that, go through the book of Joshua. I'm judges. I mean, it's just roller coaster, right? They, they'd have it, the Israelites have it great, and then they'd lose sight of God, and then they'd crash, and the enemies would destroy, take all their crops. Oh, God, where are you? You know, right? And then, hey, what do you do? Get somebody to rescue them, and it was all good for a few years, and away they go. They do it all over again, and then they do it again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And if this sounds like nauseum, it's true. It's the way it works. It's in your life, it's in my life. Humility is what keeps us on the right track. And that's why Jesus Christ is our greatest example, our greatest model of humility. Truly amazing. Now, we've got a couple more to go. Um, time is slipping away. They're willing to accept something that they can provide for themselves. The other, the other thing, yeah, that's very, that's very true. Plus the fact, you know, you can explain to a little child about the concept of God. Right? Their mind is open to that. They're open to receiving God. In fact, the earlier that they're exposed to salvation, the earlier they're exposed to literally a salvation plan, the easier it is for them. Because that's a childlike faith. See, God instilled that within us. Isn't that fantastic? It really is. Even though they still have that little, that little demo, demonic DNA going on, right? There's something about they really do. There's a, there's a trustingness to that. Anything else? So, to review, did I write the last one down? I didn't, did I? So, let's see. Um, I'm, I'm just going to say this. Pride. Rejects God. It's that simple. It really does. It rejects God. It rejects God. We've got a couple left. How, well, just to finalize that, anyway, how we treat other believers is how literally we're treating Christ. How are we treating other believers is exactly how we treat Christ, because Christ lives within them. So let's take a look. Verse 38. John wants to change the subject just a little bit. It almost seems hilarious. John chapter... No, 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 no. Don't go to John. I'm sorry. Mark. Stay there. We're going to talk about John. He's in Mark. Mark chapter 9. And I'm going to read these three verses one more time, 35, 36, 37, and watch what happens. He sat down, Jesus did, and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, that's what you guys were talking about, by the way, remember, I know, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. He took a child, set him in the midst of them, verse 36, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Verse 38. And John answered, uh, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, 
and he followeth not us, and we forbade him because he followeth not us. What does that have to do with a little child? <laughs> I think the guilt was moving in to Mr. John, right? Don't you think? I mean, that's not even closely related. Uh, Jesus, by the way, hands in the air. Jesus, we saw one guy, and he was casting out demons, and we told him not to do that because he wasn't one of us. <laughs> you see what pride, there's another thing that pride does. There's another thing that pride's really, really good at. Is pride creates, number four, pride creates exclusivity. He's not part of us. If he's not us, then we shouldn't have anything to do with him. How dare he? Now, the interesting part is this isn't a sham. This isn't, Jesus literally talks about the fact that this one, and he's, he's anonymous, is casting out demons in Jesus' name. So there are other people doing work out there. Again, it's almost like these are tied together. I, it it's really overwhelms me and makes me really tired when I run into somebody that wants to nitpick about some stupid little thing that has nothing to do with the salvation of men and women. I'm not interested. I just don't have time for it. It doesn't do anyone any good. That exclusivity, that sense, well, I know I'm the right, I have, I have the way. That's how this, all this stuff starts, right? That is so, must, what does he think God, God must just want to throw up? Here's someone, now think of this. So they see this one guy, he's casting out demons. He's doing this. He's not, for, he's not um, faking it. And John said, we, so there must have been the disciples, the team, which, keep in mind now, something important. Remember when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration? While they were up there, the three, the nine back home, they couldn't cast out the demon. So when we run into someone that is casting out demons, well, tell him to stop doing that because he's not one of us. Does that sound like pride? You better believe that's what pride looks like. Absolutely. Fits their camp right exactly. The only thing is, in their case, they were demon-possessed, probably. <laughs> Think of that. Exclusivity. You could, I don't even have to really broaden that out. It's amazing how that is truly uh, the way it works. So Jesus says, no. No, don't forbid him. If there's a man that's cat that shall do a miracle in my name, he's not going to talk evil of me after that. And whoever is not against us is on our part. Now, so far, it doesn't look good, does it, our, our humility? We've got four negatives. Pride destroys unity. Pride destroys honor. Pride rejects God. And pride creates exclusivity. But there's one really positive one. Have I got room for five? Yeah. Humility gains rewards. Now, again, you're not thinking about rewards as you're serving and doing actively humility. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Humility, if we were going to describe it, we would say that it's kind-hearted. It's sacrificial toward those that 
that need help, to those that God lays on your heart, that come, you literally come in the name of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, how come I'm going the wrong way? There we go. Philippians 2. As we've talked about, there's precepts, principles, examples, models. Paul is going to use chapter 2 of Philippians to describe for us, literally, humility. If Verse 1, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Let's talk about that for a minute. Vainglory, what's that word for? Pride. Strife, you know what's behind all strife? Pride. Right there. What's the opposite of unity? Strife. Let each, I'm sorry, but in lowliness of mind and humility, let each esteem other better than themselves. Humility on display. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Wow, those are four verses about humility. And then he goes on verse 5. Here's the model. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And what made that? The very essence that Jesus Christ humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. That's the way I got, that's the way it is in the scriptures. Humility, then glory. Humility, then exaltation. Glory, then the gift. There, it, it's, it's, that's the way it is in the scriptures. It's never circumvented. Humility gains rewards. There's rewards. There, there are rewards. And the interesting part, as, as you said, Ernie, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. There's a whole lot of people that no one knew anything about what they were doing here that in heaven will be greatly rewarded because their mission was to serve at any level to anyone without anyone knowing without anybody really having any idea. That truly is the picture of humility. We don't think it. We don't feel it. We just do it. Just do it. Just do it. That's humility. Doing it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for Jesus. My goodness, I just think of the, the audience, those 12 disciples, how they were just all over the boards. And he's had two sessions now. He talked to them about faith. They failed to be able to cast out a demon. And he taught them, you must believe. You must pray. And then on this occasion, in several little snippets, they seem very distinct and separate, but they're not. They're all talking about humility. They're talking about the fact that they need, they, the disciples needed to become servants. They needed to be less concerned about themselves. They need to be less concerned about that, that what they had learned at the hands and the, and the teachings of, this, of the religious people, Father. And Jesus was telling, no, 
know, just like this little child, just this little child right here, right now. That's how you'll have to come to me, and you must receive those little ones. Oh, Father, thank you for the teaching of Jesus, and for us to literally just be inside that group, just like we were there. The truth is here for us. Thank you for keeping the Word of God through these many years, and it will never, ever go away. Father, I ask that you be with each one of these here today. The journey of life goes on one step at a time. And you're involved in them, in their lives. And you want them involved in lives of others. Father, may they take action this week. Tomorrow, there will be opportunities for them to be engaged in random humility. I would ask that you'd give them the insight and the tenacity the strength, the courage to step forward, to do what may not seem even, what should I say? May not have time for it. It may seem out of step, out of sync. Father, just engage in their minds the importance of following you. Father, we're here for such a time as this. I pray for our country. Father, our country is a mess. We've left you out. We've left you behind. Just like the Israelites did. We're no different. You've blessed us immeasurably. America has had more blessings than probably any nation that we could certainly know about. And yet, Father, we have left you. May we return. May our leaders, in humility, bow their knee. Father, I know you will do what is necessary for that to happen. You are no less in control. You are fully and completely sovereign. Thank you that that is true, that we can trust a God that is above and beyond all and is in need of no one or anything. That's what makes you God. May our faith be instilled and grow during times like this because we know that we're safe in the arms of Jesus. Father, thank you for the gift that you availed through Jesus Christ, him dying on a cross willingly as he was delivered by the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the elitists, from Judas Iscariot, the one that was ready to sell his soul for 30 pieces of silver, just money. Just money, nothing he could take with him. And then Pilate took the easy road out as he was delivered, Jesus from the Sadducees, the religious people, to make them happy. And the people were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. He bowed his knee, not to God, not to the Lord Jesus Christ but to the whims of people. But honestly, Father, we know from Scripture that you delivered Jesus to that necessary death on Calvary's tree to save mankind. Your love was over the top. Amazing. We'll never know what that must have taken to have a relationship between Jesus, God's Son, the Son of God, and God the Father as he bore the sin which you could not look on. Wow. Just for me. Take us and use us, Father, as you see fit. Make us more like Jesus. What a model. What an example. Those disciples, as time went away and Jesus was crucified and he was offered on a cross and he was dead and he was buried and he rose again. All of these things came back to them. And their lives were different. They proved it from the lives they lived afterwards. 
They gave everything they had. Almost all of them martyred. Almost all of them giving their lives themselves for the Lord. May we rise to the occasion of what you lay out for us. We thank you for the strength and power and wisdom that come through the Holy Spirit that indwells us. In Jesus' name we pray.